is great. Thank you. Thank you, guys. That was so good. That was such an encouragement. Amen. Been worth coming to hear that tonight. I want you to take your Bibles tonight, if you will, please, and, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, I know we've taken a little time for other things tonight, but I think I can, I think I can get this done in uh, just, a, a, just a little bit of time. But uh, I feel real strongly about the message that I'm going to give you tonight. Now, I don't, have a lot of, I don't have a lot of flowing illustrations and stories to go with this message tonight. But I feel like this is um, definitely, definitely something that the Holy Spirit laid on my heart, especially as we get ready to embark upon Vacation Bible School. And um, we're so blessed. I'm telling you, my wife and I, how many workers, honey, did we finally come up with? 140? 140 adult workers signed up to help with our Vacation Bible School. And what a blessing that is. But uh, Let's, let's talk about what you see on the screen tonight. I'm calling this Lessons on a Living Church. And so when you find your place, if you're able to stand, why don't we stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word, and uh, this will also give you a chance to stretch your legs. And I'll, I'll, I'll make you a promise. I'll try to really get through this fairly quickly tonight. Um, but we're going really, to really do some digging. So we're gonna have, if we're going to get it all done, we're going to have to do it really, really fast. We're going to have to dig this hole really fast tonight. So uh, 1 Timothy 3, verse 14, Paul is writing to Timothy, and that's important for us to know, and we'll say more about that in just a moment. And so Paul says to Timothy in verse 14, these things write I unto thee. So Timothy, I'm writing these things unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Verse 16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. By the way, church, the church ought to be without controversy. The church's reputation ought to be without controversy. Our testimony ought to be above reproach. And so, and without controversy, that's what he's saying. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. You may be seated tonight, and I'm going to give you a lot of things. We're going to put quite a few things on the screen tonight, a, a little more than normal. And, uh, and we're going to just move quickly because I know we have the meeting after the service tonight. So let's pray and we'll jump quickly into this Bible study. Father, we love you. Thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. Lord, I don't know about anybody else, but I think I can personally testify my heart's been encouraged. Lord, my spirit has been edified tonight. Lord, just by the fellowship, Lord, by the music, by the congregational singing, by the special, Lord, my heart has been helped tonight. So, Lord, I want to say personally, thank you for letting me come. And, Lord, uh, I, I'm going to be able to leave. Like Brandon prayed a minute ago, I'm going to be able to leave saying, I'm glad I went to the house of the Lord. It was good to be in the house of God. Lord, I pray now as we uh, take a little time to, uh, to decipher, Lord, your word and what you have for us. Lord, I pray our hearts will be open. And I pray that uh, our minds will uh, be receptive to the truth of the word of God tonight. Lord, everything I'm, everything I'm gonna say tonight is not gonna be politically correct, 
but it is going to be biblically correct, and I'm going to show that tonight. And so, Lord, help us to help us to make sure that we line up with you and with your will. And so, Lord, be with us now, please. Fill us with the Spirit of God. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, and for his sake, amen. And so here in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, and really 1 Timothy, Timothy, just a word about Timothy. Timothy has been led to Christ and discipled by none other than the Apostle Paul. Um, and Timothy is later sent to serve as an elder, what the Bible calls an elder or a pastor uh, in the church of Ephesus. Now, let me give you a little background about Ephesus because I believe that's important and, and I believe it'll help you understand a little bit more uh, with clarity what we read tonight. Ephesus, Timothy is a younger man in the faith. He's been one to Christ. He's been discipled by Paul, but he's not the veteran He's not the veteran that Paul is. And so uh, Timothy has been sent to Ephesus. Now, uh, boy, this wasn't Mayberry RFD where, where uh, Timothy was sent. Uh, Ephesus uh, was in the time of the Romans, and it bore the title of the first and great metropolis of Asia. And so Ephesus is a big, giant place. And something specific about Ephesus, Ephesus was distinguished for the temple, something called the Temple of Artemis or the Temple of Diana. Now, is that important? It's real important if you're going there to pastor a church. This would be like, okay, this would be like going and planning a church in Las Vegas, Nevada, right smack dab beside some of the major casinos. That's what, that's, that's what it would be like except that Ephesus was probably much larger than Las Vegas. The theater, listen to this, the theater of Ephesus was the largest theater in the, then, in the known world. It was capable of containing 50,000 spectators. Now, just try to give you some perspective on that. I looked up the Spectrum Center down in Charlotte. Some of you have been down there for a basketball game or, uh, you know, some kind of whatever, down at the Spectrum Center. Uh, the Spectrum Center has a capacity of 20,200. And so this theater in Ephesus will hold 50,000 people. Now, church, I'm gonna tell you, last time I checked, that's a lot of people. That's a large crowd. It was an open theater and it was where the exhibition of the games took place. And so this was the place where the gladiators would come and, and men would fight with wild beasts and, and often they would fight uh, with one another. And so again, I just, I'm trying to give you an idea of this is the place that Timothy is pastoring. This is not a small little backwoods town. This is a great metropolis of people. Thousands and thousands of people are living there. And not only is it a metropolis, but it is a pagan metropolis. Very much so. Because these people worship the goddess Diana. Uh, she was their god. Uh, and so again, just to give you an idea of what Timothy is up against. The letters of 1 Timothy and specifically Titus are concerned significantly with false teaching and its harmful effects in the church. And in 1 Timothy, Paul directs, in, in 1 Timothy, the, the letter of 1 Timothy, Paul directs Timothy, the man, to, to go down to Ephesus and pastor this church and to actively oppose false teaching. Now, you know what that tells us? Timothy was probably not going to be the head of the ministerial association down, down in Ephesus. He was not going to be Mr. Popular in town. 
Timothy was going to be very, very unpopular. He was going to be going upstream. He was going to be going against the, against the norm. But it's also interesting about 1 Timothy that this letter instructs us on the type of behavior that ought to characterize those people in the church. And that's sort of the direction I want to come from tonight. Several things that I want to show you this evening. We'll get through this quickly tonight. How about this? Number one, the church is explained as the foundation for truth. Now, look at your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number, verse number 15. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says to Timothy, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Now, some have said that word, that, that, that phrase, house of God, uh, also is the idea of a household, the household of God. In other words, Paul writes to Timothy and says, Timothy, I'm going to tell you how the household of God ought to act. I'm going to tell you how the family of God ought to live. I'm going to tell you some things that ought to, that ought to characterize the household of God. Look what he says, which is the church of the living God. Notice this last part, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, uh, if you'd like to mark your Bible up, I want you to underline the word pillar and I want you to underline the word ground. The word pillar there means prop or support. And so you can read it like this. In the house of God, which is the, uh, which is the church of the living God, the prop or support of the truth. That's what Paul is saying. The word ground there means basis or, or support or ground. Now, again, that may or may not mean a, a, a whole lot to you tonight, but I can guarantee this. Paul wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit knew exactly which words to use. Because he knew that when, when Paul uses the words pillar and ground, he knew that there was a group called the Ephesians who could definitely comprehend that. You know why? Because the temple of Diana was so large, it became known as one of the seven wonders of the world. And among its architecture were 127 gold-plated marble pillars that supported this monstrous roof of the temple. Now, you can look it up. Just look it up on Google, uh, the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis, and it was, it's massive. I mean, it, it is a monstrosity. This place is so large, and there were 127 gold-plated marble pillars that held up the roof on the Temple of Diana. So when the Spirit of God sends this letter uh, and sends Timothy to, to, uh, to Ephesus, he knew that the Ephesian Christians would, would understand this idea of pillars. But what the Bible is saying is this, the church is the basis, or the church is the support, or the church is the foundation for truth. Is it important that you and I go to truth? Absolutely, it's important. Man, unless you are absolutely providentially hindered, don't let anything get in the way of the house of God. Now, you say, uh, Pastor, is that some kind of a, you know, a campaign because you want people to come and hear you? No, no, no. I want you to be here this coming Sunday. Brother Scott called us preaching, and, and, and you need to be here. And I'll tell you why. Because when you come here, what you're going to receive is the truth. You're going to receive the truth. The church is the support or the foundation or the pillar of the truth. I thought about the Sears Tower in Chicago. Some of our folks have been there. Uh, 1,450 feet high. 
Now you can go, you can take that elevator to, I think, the 109th floor, and uh, you step out on that elevator, and now they've got these glass boxes where you can just walk out over the side of the building and look straight down. And it's amazing. (laughs) Uh, Listen to this, 43,000 miles of telephone cable in the Sears Tower. 25,000 miles of plumbing in the Sears Tower. And it was built in such a way, they don't call it the Windy City for nothing. And man, the wind blows like nobody's business there. And the Sears Tower was constructed in such a way where at the top it can sway three feet. Now, you say, that's crazy, it really is. But let me tell you, before they ever started installing the phone line and the plumbing, you know what they installed first? They installed the foundation. Two million cubic feet of concrete went into the foundation of the Sears Tower. It has a three-acre foundation, and that foundation extends down three levels, 100 feet, and is anchored into limestone bedrock. Now, why is that? Because those, those architect, uh, uh, architects knew uh, and those building engineers knew something that if we're going to hold this thing up and if it's going to withstand this, uh, this Illinois wind coming off of Lake Michigan, there's going to have to be a great foundation. Oh, man, listen to me, Calvary. You know why the church is so important today? Because the church is the foundation for the truth. And if you do away with the church, you do away with truth. If you don't have the church, truth is going to come tumbling down. The church is the foundation for the truth. And if your foundation is not sound or your foundation is weakened, you know what's going to happen? The building, the structure is going to come crashing down. Listen to Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock, the Bible says. Verse 26, and everyone that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Why did it fall? No foundation. No foundation. Oh man, I want to get off this point because this is not the main point tonight. But I'm I'm just telling you, you want your kids to have a foundation? You better get them here. You better, I mean, you better do everything you can in your power to make sure that your children are here. You want your teenagers to have a foundation? Get them here. Oh, listen to me, church. They're not going to get a foundation at Carowinds. They're not going to get a foundation at the park. They're going to get a foundation right here. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the church is explained in this letter, 1 Timothy, the church is explained as the foundation for truth. Something else quickly. Number two, we notice in this letter the church extends a welcome to all. All right, look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse number 1. I'll give you something to underline here in just a minute or circle or highlight. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, I, I, exhort, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for who? All men. All men. Rich men? No. 
But only poor men? No. How about white men? No. Uh, only black men? No. The Bible says that we're to, it's, it's to be made for all men. Verse two, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Look at this next line. Who will have all men to be saved? And so how many believe God wants everybody to be saved? Now everybody won't be saved, but he wants everybody to be saved who will have all men to be saved, to come into the knowledge of the truth. Look at verse five. For there is one God and one mediator between God and me and the man Christ Jesus. Verse six, who gave himself a ransom for who? For, for all to be testified in due time. Now again, don't forget what, 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 what we read this morning. Uh, this letter is written so we know how we're to behave in the house of God. This letter was written so we know that how those in the house of God ought to be characterized. And one of the things that we see here is this, that the church, the right kind of church, extends a welcome to everybody. The right kind of church extends a welcome to all. Now, I thought about this, and I taught this years ago, and I hadn't taught it in, in a little while, but the right kind of church, you say, Pastor, give me an illustration, all right? The right kind of church is similar to a hospital, the right kind of church, the right kind of church is similar to an emergency room. Did you know that an ER does not turn people away because of the, because of the severity of their condition? Man, what, what, what in the world? What kind of ER would it be? If somebody walks in with a laceration and it's gonna take, you know, four or five stitches and they walk in, they've got a towel over their arm. They say, yeah, we were out in the, the garden working. I cut my arm. I'm probably gonna need a few stitches. And the nurse looks at it and says, yeah, okay, you're good, room five. And then a guy comes in and he's holding his heart and he's got severe chest pains and he can't breathe and he's got pains down his arm and he says, I think I'm having a heart attack. And they say, you know what? You'll have to just go somewhere else. You're, you're too severe for us. Uh, we just handle sniffles and ear infections. And you have to go somewhere else. Now, that's sort of sarcastic, but the truth of the matter is, a lot of churches are like that. Where people who walk in and they've got, you know, a, a, a spiritual laceration, church say, oh yeah, you're welcome, come on. And you can sit right down here. But people who walk in or are having a heart attack, spiritually speaking, or a stroke, who don't look like us, and don't talk like us, and have never lived like us. And by the way, they've never been taught to live like us. And yet they're searching, they're seeking, and the Spirit of God is working in their heart, and they walk into a church like this, heavy, 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 hangs the load over the church member who turns them out. Man, we ought to be just like that ER. We ought to be welcoming everybody in who needs some help. Now, are they going to look like you? No. Are they going to always talk like you? No. Are they going to always smell like you? No. But there ought to be a church somewhere where everybody's welcome. Hey, I wrote this down. Our Sunday school classes are not really Sunday school classes. They're spiritual examination rooms. Our choir, every single service, applies spiritual penicillin to every service. Our auditorium is a spiritual operating room. Uh, our pastor 
Let me tell you what the pastor does. The pastor just assists the great physician as he conducts heart surgery every single service. Our Bible is a spiritual medical manual. The Holy Spirit is the hospital administrator. And our church members, including this one, serve as spiritual orderlies. Now, I said that to say this. We believe at Calvary Baptist Church that everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome because it's important that we get everybody to Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. You say, Pastor, but you don't know about his past life. No, I don't know about his past life and I can't do anything about his past life, but I know a Savior that can do a whole lot about his future life. And by the way, I think probably every single person here tonight is on board with that. But I'll tell you who is on board with it. A man named Jesus. And you hold your place there at First Timothy because we're going right back in a big, big way in just a moment. Good night. Where's the time gone? Listen to Matthew 9 and verse 10. Matthew 9, verse 10, and it came to pass as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Verse 11, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, they that behold me, not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus said, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And occasionally people may come here and they may say, Pastor, why do we invite everybody in? Because everybody needs the Lord. That's why. And we all need the Lord the same. We're all sinners who deserve the same hell. And so the church is explained as the foundation for truth. The church extends a welcome to all. But this is where we, I wanted to get to quickly tonight because this is a, a little longer point tonight. Number three, though, it's important for us to understand something. The church is expected to maintain a standard of holiness. Now look back at your Bibles again. 1 Timothy 3. Here's this letter. 1 Timothy 3. It's being written to a man that's going to a pagan, pagan metropolis where they worship what's probably an asteroid that fell from heaven or fell out of, the, the, fell out of, out of space. And, and they're worshiping this asteroid. They call it Diana. And these people are very serious about their worship of Diana. But we find here that this letter tells us that the church is expected to maintain a standard of holiness. 1 Timothy 3, verse 14, these things write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly, but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so the Holy Spirit reminds us that, these, that, that this is the reason for these written words, that, that the church is supposed to know how to behave. That's what it's all about. I don't think anybody can debate that. That's, that's exactly what he said. Timothy, I'm writing this letter under this inspiration of the Holy Spirit so the church knows how it's supposed to behave. You say, all right, pastor. Tell us about it. Well, I'm, I'm going to tonight. Now, several things here. Number one, we find this letter addresses the layman. Look at 1 Timothy 2. We're going to be all over 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, look at verse number 8. 
1 Timothy 2, verse 8. The, the Bible says this, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So fellas, he's talking to us. He's talking to the layman of the church. Um, that we're, uh, he, he says, I want you to lift up holy hands. That holy hands speaks of purity. We're to keep ourselves pure. He says, I want you to lift up holy hands without wrath. The word wrath is the word anger. And I want you to do it without doubting. The word doubting means dispute or deliberation. Listen, very, very simply put tonight, don't be one of these kind of people that's always deliberating with somebody in the church about something. Always stirred up about something. Always have to say something about something. I mean, Brother Brandon's never quite got it right for choir practice. The pianist never quite hits the right note. It's just, it's always that spirit of deliberation. And the Bible says we're not to be like that. Layman, we're to, we're to be lifting up holy hands without wrath, without anger. Sometimes people are going to do some things that you don't understand. Sometimes they're going to act like you don't think they ought to act. Listen, don't be angry about it. And don't be, don't be one of these kind of people that disputes all the time. And so we find, we find here this letter addresses the layman. How about this quickly? Number, number next, this letter addresses the ladies. Look, if you will, at uh, uh, 1 Timothy 2, look at verse number 9. 1 Timothy 2, verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women, professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. What's he talking about? That the, that the women of the church are, are to be ladylike. They're to be ladylike. They're, they're to be modest. We, we approached this in the question and answer the other night, so I won't go into this tonight, but, but this is what it's saying. Ladies, really the first thing that people ought to notice about you is not your makeup, not your jewelry, not your dress. The first thing people ought to notice about a woman is her spirit. You ought to have a spirit that, that's the spirit of Christ. And that's that Christ-like spirit that, that, that exudes from your, from your person. And so... We're going somewhere. This letter addresses the layman. This letter addresses the ladies. How about this? This letter addresses the leadership. Uh, first of all, those that are considered pastoral staff. First Timothy 3, verse 1. This is a true saying of a man desire the office of a bishop. He desires the good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine. That's pretty clear, church. So these reverends, these reverends out here that, that want you to believe that it's okay to get up in the pulpit and preach the Bible and then go out to the honky-tonk and drink their Jack Daniels, it's not according to Scripture. It's not according to Scripture. Now, it's not popular to preach, but it's not according to Scripture. No striker. That word striker means contentious. That, that, that the pastor and the pastoral staff should not be contentious. Not greedy or filthy lucre. They shouldn't do it for the money. But patient. Not a brawler. Not a brawler. What's that mean, pastor? Abstaining from a fight. In other words, the pastor shouldn't go around looking for a fight. Uh, and even if somebody comes to the pastor looking for a fight, the pastor is to do his best to try to avoid it. Why? Because that's not going to help the church. It's not going to help the, the, the cause of Christ for the preacher to be a brawler. 
And so uh, the Bible says, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, not a new convert. He, couldn't, he can't be a new convert. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So this letter addresses the leadership. It, it, it talks to the pastoral staff. But not only the pastoral staff, but it talks, about, it talks to the deacons. Look what it says in verse number 8. 1 Timothy 3, 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave. That word grave means honest. They're to be honest men. Not double-tongued. That means saying one thing with one person and another with another person. Not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these, these deacons, let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slander, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. Again, I want you to understand something. We're going somewhere. This letter is telling us this is, what the, this is how the church is supposed to behave. Let me show you something else quickly. This letter addresses the laborer. Look at 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 1. I know I'm going fast. Y'all just hang in there with me. 1 Timothy 6, verse 1, let as, many, let as many servants. What's that mean, pastor? Employees. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. And they that have believing masters, those that have boss men who are Christians, and they that have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they're faithful and blood, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort Timothy. That's what he's saying. Timothy, teach these things. When you get down to that metropolis, that pagan metropolis, you need to teach these things. You're gonna have employers in the church and employees in the same church. He said, you need to teach them. This is how Christian people behave. And so this letter addresses the labor. This letter, I'll tell you something else. This labor, or this letter, I'm sorry, this letter addresses the lawless. It addresses those who reject and rebel against the standards of holiness. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 8. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 8. But we know, Paul said, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane. That word profane in your Bible, if you want to underline that, the word profane there means this. It means crossing the threshold. In other words, somebody knows that something is not right and yet they cross the threshold. I know it's not right. I've been raised different than this. The Holy Spirit tells me this is not right and yet they cross the threshold. Profane. Uh, the Bible says for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, did somebody say, ever say this to you? You're going to send your parents to an early grave. 
The Bible's talking about murders of fathers and mothers. The Bible talks about manslayers. The word manslayers is just outright murder. For murders of fathers, murders of mothers. I'm going somewhere, church. Hang in there with me. For manslayers, verse 10, for whoremongers. That word means a person who indulges in unlawful sexual intercourse. For them that defile themselves with mankind. It's the Greek word arsenkoetis. And it means them that defile themselves with mankind. Someone involved in a homosexual relationship. Now that's not popular teaching. But it's Bible teaching. And that's the thing. It's Bible teaching. And the whole reason that this letter came is so we know how we're to behave in the house of the Lord. That's what it's saying. Uh, The Bible talks about men stealers. That's the idea of somebody that's a slave dealer. You say, we don't have that anymore. uh, anymore. (laughs) Yes, we do too. It's called human trafficking. It's an epidemic in America and across the world. And hell's going to be very hot for those people. The Bible mentions liars. The Bible mentions perjured persons, those who lie about others. And this is what I want you to understand, that the Bible says these things that I just mentioned, these things are contrary to sound doctrine. That's what he said. And and here's the thing. I want to encourage you. You don't even have to take my word for this. You go home and you study this out yourself. And ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. But how many know this church? Sometimes there's just no other, there's no other way to read the Bible. It's pretty cut and dry. And, and, and every once in a while, I, I understand. Every once in a while people say, Preacher, I just can't understand the Bible. Keep reading. Keep reading. Because the Holy Ghost will give you, He'll give you plenty of understanding. We're done. But I want you to hear about on this, on this last point. So this letter addresses the layman, the ladies, the leadership, the laborers, the lawless. But listen to this. This letter addresses the laying on of hands. The laying on of hands. Look at 1 Timothy 5. 1 Timothy 5 and verse number 22. The Bible says here, 1 Timothy 5 verse 22. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. Now, what's the Bible teaching there? And what what is Paul teaching Timothy, who's who's going down to pastor this metropolis, this, this, uh, uh, this in this city that's got literally thousands of people, and the biggest thing about this city is the temple Diana. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, when you go down there and you're pastoring this church, lay hands suddenly on no man. That's going to be the temptation, Timothy. Well, what's it mean, preacher? It means the church is to be very careful about bringing people on board to serve. Now hear me out on this statement. We're almost done. Everyone is welcome at Calvary Baptist Church. But not everyone is welcome to serve at Calvary Baptist Church. So, Pastor, I am appalled 
that you would say that. Pastor didn't say it. God said it. God said it. After he has addressed all these people and said, Layman, this is how I want you to live. Ladies, this is how I want you to live. Uh, Leadership, this is the testimony that you're to have, and on and on and on. And then God comes and he says this, Timothy, lay hands suddenly on no man. If you're going to serve at Calvary Baptist Church, it's important that you adhere to the sound doctrine that's taught at Calvary Baptist Church. If you're going to sing in the choir, you need to live the part. If you desire to be a member, you need to live the part. If you want to serve on the hospitality team, there's a certain standard. If you'd like to teach a Sunday school class, and by the way, we would like you to teach a Sunday school class, but there's a certain behavior. If you'd like to sing a special And I'm just saying this, it's important that you buy in. It's important that you agree to the doctrines that are taught at the Calvary Baptist Church. This is all I'm saying. And this is what's happening all over America. We have people coming to churches and they're like, I want to serve. Are you willing to wholeheartedly agree to the doctrines taught at the Calvary Baptist Church? No way. But I want to serve. But those two don't go together. And so the Lord said, this is how I want you to behave. This is how I want you to behave. This is how I want you to behave. This is what I want you to avoid. This is your testimony I want you to have. This is the reputation I want you to have. And then he comes to Timothy and says, Timothy, whatever you do, that pagan, pagan, pagan place you're living in, don't lay hands suddenly on any man. It's important that you agree to the doctrines that are taught here. Listen, there are just some things we have to do before we can do other things. Before I publish a book, I have to agree to a certain set of rules and guidelines before I can publish that book. It's just, listen, church, it's just life. It's life. My wife and I, here recently, our passports ran out. They expired. And so I told her, I said, when do you get our passports renewed? Well, it's not necessarily the easiest process in the world. And so we started looking into getting our passports renewed, and you know what I found out? There were some things we had to agree to. If you're going to get your passport renewed, there's just some things you're going to have to agree to do. Listen, just because we want to do something doesn't mean you automatically have the right to do it. But I want to do it. Okay, praise God. But there are some requirements that come with it. Brother Brandon's working hard right now on getting his CDL uh, driver's license so he can drive uh, our bus. And you know what I'm amazed? Brother Brandon went down to the, to the place down there, and he said, hey, I want, a, I, want a, I want a CDL. And they said, nope, not until you do this, 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 and this, 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 and this, 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 this. And Brother Brandon could have went in there and said, but wait a minute now. I just want to drive us with a CDL. <laughs> just because Brother Brandon wants to drive with a CDL doesn't mean he's going to get to drive with a CDL. There's some things that he's going to have to do. Am I making any sense at all tonight? This is what I'm saying. Serving in the church is a great privilege, but it requires great personal responsibility. And so if you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, 
I want to serve. We could not be more excited about that. And I mean that. When you come and you say, Pastor, I want to serve. I'm going to tell you what you make my day. But if you're, going, if you're going to serve, there's a certain behavior that goes with serving. Several years ago, Cam Newton, my wife and I just never really cared for Cam very much. But Cam Newton was a quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. And uh, it was a Sunday night. It was a Sunday night game. I guess it was a big game. And uh, all the cameras went hot and all the lights came on. And Cam Newton was not on the field. And everybody was wondering, where's Cam? Where's Cam? Where's Cam? I mean, it was a big Sunday night game. And yet Cam was not on the field. The reason? Coach Ron Revere benched Cam Newton. Because Cam Newton had failed to follow the rules. Coach Ron Revere required every player to wear a tie while traveling. And Cam Newton showed up with a turtleneck. And thank God, Ron Revere had the intestinal fortitude to say, you're on the bench. You know what he was saying? If you're going to be a part of the team, you got to be a team player. If you're going to be a part of the team, there's a certain behavior that's expected. I'm so glad that I, I pastor some of the greatest, greatest people in the world at Calvary Baptist Church. But I want us, and I mean that I'm preaching to me tonight. I want us to understand something. When you serve in, in the church of Jesus Christ, it is a privilege it's a privilege. By the way, one that you're going to receive rewards for. But that privilege comes with great personal responsibility. I just want you to hear that before we start Bible school. So, Father, thank you for this time we've had together tonight. Lord, our world is so mixed up now. It seems we don't know which way is up and which way is down. God, our young people are so confused. Lord, we can't trust politicians. And Lord, what's really sad is we can't even trust preachers anymore. Lord, we're in a mixed up world. But I'm so glad that I have a book that tells me what is right and tells me what is wrong. And Father, I'm so glad that this book that I have on my pulpit tonight, Lord, I'm so glad that it's a road map. Lord, it's a manual that I can go by, that I can run my marriage by, that I can rear my kids with. Lord, it's a manual that I can use in this ministry. Now, it's not going to make me popular in the community sometimes. But Lord, as long as we know we're doing right, that's the main thing. I don't know if this message has a hook in it tonight, Lord. Probably, probably not. But Lord, I pray that you just help us to understand something, that serving Christ is a privilege. Lord, it's an honor. Lord, to teach a class, to sing in the choir, to, to stand up in front of some boys and girls in a vacation Bible school, it's a privilege and an honor. But that privilege comes with great moral responsibility. Father, help us to be holy people. 
Father, I pray you'd have your way in this invitation. Speak to hearts, please. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, and I know we went late tonight. And church, we don't often do that. But I want to ask you this tonight, real quickly before we go. How many here this evening would say, Pastor, if I died tonight, with God as my witness, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm on my way to heaven. I've been gloriously born again. And if that's you, you just slip your hand up as a testimony. I know that I'm saved. Praise the Lord. That's so great. So wonderful. So wonderful. And you can lower your hands. Thank you so much. Let me ask you this, though. Is there one here tonight anywhere who would say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure of heaven. Oh, preacher, I want to go. Pastor, I want to go. I'm just not sure of it. And I want you to pray for me. Is there one anywhere like that? And I can just pray for you tonight. Can I pray for you? I see that small hand. Is there another? Anybody else? Anybody else? Can I pray for you tonight? How many here tonight is say, Preacher, I'm saved. I've already raised my hand about that. I've got such a heavy burden tonight on my heart. Pastor, I've got such a heavy burden. Man, I need your prayer so, so bad tonight. God knows what it's about. You just slip your hand up. Just slip it up tonight. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you right now. Yeah, boy, quite a few, quite a few hands tonight. Father, you saw those hands. God, I don't know what the burden is, but I'm glad I know the burden bearer. God, I know that burdens are lifted at Calvary. Father, I pray tonight that you'd be with those dear people. Lord, we're so glad that you're, you're the God of all comfort. And God, I pray tonight that they would draw up close to thee, draw near to the Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would give them comfort, not only comfort, but Lord, I pray you'd give them direction. Show them exactly what to do and how to do it and meet every need they may have, please. God, please be with them tonight. Those little hands that went up tonight and said that they were not sure of heaven, I pray you'll save them. And then, Lord, this is what I pray for our church and for this pastor. Father, help us to behave ourselves wisely. Help us to behave ourselves like children of God. Lord, help us to live holy lives and righteous lives. No, not not, not, not holier than thou. I'm not talking about that. But, Lord, help us to live holy and righteous lives before you. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's all stand tonight, if you will. Hey, we're going to sing this little chorus, and we're done tonight. And it's a little song that says, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. And uh, we're going to sing it tonight before we go. If you need to come, altars are open. Let's sing it. Ready? Here we go. Nothing between my soul and the Savior. So that his blessed face I may see Nothing preventing the least of his favor Keep the way clear, let nothing between Would you bow your heads?